0: Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio.
1: Hey, Mia Hull with you on FBI Radio 94.5, streaming online or on the podcast. This is Out of the Box. It's the place where every Thursday from 12 to 1, I sit down with one person and we look at their record collection and the stories from their life and how those things interact with each other. Today my guest and I are recording from the FBI radio studio in so-called Redfern, which is one of the heartlands of Indigenous resistance. Recording here also means we're broadcasting on unceded Aboriginal land, so I want to take this moment to pay my respects to Gadigal Elders past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. The first time I met today's guest was actually right here in this studio. Her name is Melody Forgani and she's the founder of the PR company 23, so she was actually sitting in on an interview I was having with one of her artists and yes, it was really nerve-wracking doing an interview in front of her and I'm happy to have her on the mic this time. (laughs) But that moment actually wasn't Melody's first time at FBI Radio either. She's volunteered here for many years on and off air and she can tell you about this herself later, but FBI has been really formative in Melody's journey as a boss in the music industry. Music has played such a massive role in shaping her life so I'm so excited to explore the tracks that she's brought to play for us today on Out of the Box. Melody, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Oh my gosh, it is such a pleasure. I feel truly (laughs) honoured to be here. So you call Sydney home now but that's not where your life began is it?
0: No, I was born in Tehran in Iran um, in 1991 and then yeah our family were there for a few years after the revolution had turned and um kind of stuck around to see what was going to happen and yeah and then my life took a bit of a journey elsewhere
1: do you remember anything from living in iran
0: no i don't remember anything which makes me really sad but i have two parents who are really good at storytelling and i almost feel like i was there particularly the journey across to Turkey where we where we escaped as refugees but um, yeah I don't have any personal memories and I'd love to go back obviously that would be a dream but mm. I don't know if particularly now is a good time but I yeah really hope I can go with my parents one day.
1: It's crazy how sometimes hearing stories repeated back to you makes them almost feel like memories. Yeah it's
0: like it's like photos when you think that you know a situation or a scenario really really well and then you realise you've just memorised a photo and Mm. you've absolutely no specific memory, which is kind of how I feel about Iran and where we were in Turkey for
1: the year after that. Mm. Um, And tell me how you got to Turkey.
0: Yeah, so our family escaped Iran um, when I was three and my older sister, who's 10 years um, older than me, she was 13, obviously, and we left the country on foot. And I don't... um, have any memories of this but from what my sisters told me it was kind of a scenario where you couldn't really obviously tell anybody your friends or your family as well and um, my parents spent a lot of time kind of selling things one by one and I think the last thing that was sold were the curtains in the house um, which would have otherwise shown a completely empty house and then yeah as far as I'm concerned it sounds like An expensive process to (laughs) to be smuggled illegally across a border so um that was all done very secretly and we traveled across the mountains and sounded like a pretty rough journey I'm almost grateful that I don't have personal memories from it but um yeah like I said the stories that I've heard from my parents are so vivid that I definitely have a sense of kind of what that was like and Mm. we didn't travel alone we had a group of 13 or 14 people that were with us um even saying this now I'm kind of like I wonder which parts of this are true not because anyone's told me something that isn't true but I feel like I've heard it from so many different times from different like people in my family That I'm like which (laughs) have I embellished any of this or is it is that exactly what happened but yeah we we traveled with 13 or 14 people some of which didn't make it um across the border and I think the The travel was on foot and in in trucks with like farm animals and hiding in different places so it was definitely quite a treacherous journey that I would have absolutely um yeah I don't know what my life would have looked like if I'd remembered it all but Mm -hmm. definitely really impacted my sister in a very different way to me yeah it's hard to hard to fully understand what it was like for her I definitely you know the stories that I've heard about me on that journey is being held in my my parents hands and and well, arms and you know like to the point where their their arms are almost completely frozen in that position of holding mm. me and um yeah individual parents not knowing if they could continue because it was such a difficult journey and um just yeah through the middle of winter in, in iran is not not an easy thing to do do you have memories from Turkey at all? I think so, but I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, like I said, there's, there's actually a lot of photos and all the photos seem like paint a really joyful scene, which kind of seems crazy. But um, the things I do know are that we lived in an apartment in Ankara in um, Turkey and there was quite a few of us and, um, yeah, there wasn't really any furniture in the house or anything obviously... We couldn't travel with any possessions, so we just kind of had the clothes that were with us. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of occasions where everybody would have food on a sofra on the ground, like a a tablecloth where you'd eat. And um, I, had, I had a birthday there, and it looked like a really fun birthday. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of family that we had that were able to come and visit in Turkey um, as well. So that that's kind of my most distinct memories from it. And then I know that my dad was one of the only people that could work and kind of set up a little handyman shop in one of the cupboards mm. um, in like a storage cupboard in the building and would offer to help people in the building. So I think that was kind of the main source of income and we couldn't really go anywhere or do anything because we had to go in and sign the, sign into the UN at the time and um, prove that we were genuine refugees and obviously very aware that it hasn't been um as easy as it was not that that was an easy process for my family but it's definitely a very different time now I mean there's so many changes that are happening even with the news um this last week but yeah it's it was definitely not a way a you know an offshore detention center mm. for for years we were definitely really lucky that once that happened they were able to fly us over and we we had a lot of family that left to run way before we did um yeah I think my parents were really hoping that the revolution would turn again um I guess they didn't realize it would take (laughs) another 20 years but Mm. um yeah they waited as long as they could before it started to feel like it was unsafe and and my sister and I weren't going to be able to have an education and they weren't going to be able to work properly so yeah um I can't remember what I was saying.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, we were talking about Turkey and maybe Mm. how you got to the end of your journey in Turkey. Your family was granted refugee status in Australia. Do you know why they chose Australia or was that just the country that came up?
0: Well, when, you know, our family in Iran kind of all split to wherever they could get to. So I think some of our family went to Pakistan first and on to Germany or um, Pakistan then. South Africa or um straight to America, um, and then everybody eventually ended up for the most part in Australia, um, a lot earlier than we were there. So, um, yeah, we had a lot of family and support and, and um I think uncles and aunts who were able to help us get there and and show that they could support us there. Um and when we came, I think we first uh were settled in Auburn and I don't remember this but I've been told that it was a really like it was quite a nice experience of being able to come and have Persian food in the fridge and you know like Lebanese bread and all that kind of stuff that would make you feel a little bit more at home but then I think pretty quickly we went to Camden in New South Wales where we lived in like a cul-de-sac where I was our family was number five or seven or something and our grandparents eventually came and they were on the same block and another family was like number one so we, we all had each other and then the family that arrived a little bit earlier than us were around the corner so we kind of like none of us could speak the same language my sister and I could only speak Farsi um my other cousins could only speak German and then the other cousins could only speak English but we all went to the same school and um yeah it was a it was a really funny group of cousins and Mm. kids that hung out but didn't really know how to communicate to each other
1: it's like a little community built around your family and you talk about growing up with all your cousins. Were you the baby of the family as well?
0: Yeah, I was. I'm, I'm not the baby of the family in general, On I guess on that side of the family, but um, growing up I was the youngest and I, I was definitely um, more of the baby.
1: Do you think being more of a baby with your older cousins around kind of exposes you to the things that they're listening to or they're kind of engaging with? A lot of my older cousins introduced me to all the music and
0: things that I knew and liked. So I just would take anything that they would listen to and, and run with it. But also, you know, growing up in the area that we were, it wasn't a particularly multicultural area and it was also quite racist, to be honest. Um, and I think I, f- I felt that just in the the way that I was one of the only... I was – me, my cousins were the only Middle Eastern people in our whole school from memory. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really – there wasn't any other people that looked like us or related to the way that our families were or what we ate at school or anything like that, kind of like the cliche wild mm. boy scene of <laughs> you know rolling out the salami. But, um, yeah, so I think having my cousins um, and a group of people that I could come home to and and just – um, feel accepted by was so special to me that anything that they intru- introduced me to I immediately loved, even mm. if I, it wasn't necessarily my style or something.
1: Let's dig into the music that, you know, you listened to with your cousins growing up. Are there any songs in particular that you remember from that time?
0: Um, I distinctly remember my cousin Nazanin um, introduced me to the Miseducation of Lauren Hill and, and the Fugees um, album the score and those two were pretty much the only two albums that I knew and I'm not joking when I say I don't think I knew any other songs um and yeah even just like the original versions and then we'd hear the live versions of all the albums too and so that was kind of like all we knew but um I didn't obviously know anything that was being (laughs) spoken about but I think something that um I really resonated with was just like the sentiment and the feeling that the music brought to me and I think partly it was because it was from my cousins and I felt like oh this is our kind of little secret or like something that we just enjoy together and people at school might not know about it but that's okay Um, but also I think you know both of those albums and and those artists um, speak a lot about their own communities and um, the isolation they might feel um yeah growing up or living in a place that doesn't accept them and I think that that general feeling was something that I resonated with um yeah but how many mics it was it's just such a like it's just so fun and it um you know I think it was the first taste of hearing like rappers and and hip-hop musicians like trying to one-up everybody else and that like bravado was really um like amusing to me but also yeah, it's just such a like catchy, um catchy song. And I just love the idea that as a kid I was listening to that song and having absolutely no clue what <laughs> they were really talking about, but knowing that I just really felt it and and shared that with my cousins as well.
1: Well, let's play it right now on Out of the Box on FBI Radio ninety-four point five, chosen by my guest, Melody Forgani. It's the fugees and How Many Mics.
0: Me without a mic is like a- a snare, I dare to tear into your ego, we go way back like some ganja and paliquo, or Coleco vision. my mind's making decisions in your anatomy, and I'll this with
1: Deuteronomy, or Leviticus, God made this word you can't get with this, sweet like licorice, dangerous like syphilis, yeah. yeah. How, many How many mics, mics do, do we rip on, rip on, on the deli? Mini money, say me say many, many, many. many, many, many. How many mics do I rip on the deli? Mini money. Me say many, many, many. You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or if you're streaming via the podcast or on our website, fbiradio.com, that song was called How Many Mics, it was by the Fugees, and it was chosen by my guest on Out of the Box, the founder of PR company 23, Melody Forgani. And before we played that song, Melody, we talked about how music was so important in your early life and how your cousins introduced you to so much music. And we talked about those two seminal albums for you, The Score and The education of Lauren Hill when did you start to branch out from those albums or listen to music differently
0: I think I mean the biggest change was we moved out of Camden and we went to um, the kind of northwest suburbs and um, of Sydney and yeah I remember like hip-hop was definitely massive for me because of those two albums but also my sister loved Tupac and I I don't even think I was allowed to listen I don't even know if actually I don't even know if my parents ever had rules of like you can or can't listen to this but I think even I was like I'm not going to listen to this this is a little bit too much for me um but yeah hip hop was kind of always around and so um when I was growing up in in le- the later years of primary school I got really into Eminem but then I also simultaneously had this like you know in, in what I thought was punk like Avril Lavigne Simple Plan mm. uh, that became a big part of my life too and I think um, probably mostly because we lived right next door to a JJ store. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to wear those cuffs and those like Peggy <laughs> jorts or whatever they were. But um, the crossover kind of felt like just this like punk energy that mm. that, that was across both, both of those like genres where, yeah, it was like whether it was anti-establishment or um, talking about things that um, pissed them off. Like there was that kind of like attitude towards it. But Eminem, I was – and – to some extent still am um, so fascinated and so um, in awe of him. And I know like he's a complex, complicated, oftentimes problematic artist. But I think for me, when I I remember when I first watched 8 Mile, I can't remember the, you know, like chronologically, like what came first, but at some point I remember watching 8 Mile and just being like, yeah, like I knew it, his Mm -hmm. story his come up was so impressive and he he's the underdog and he worked really hard and he believed in it enough and he broke through the you know challenges of his life that he he was born into and for me that really struck a chord like my parents um, you know they've always worked really really hard and they've um encouraged me i think in direct and kind of more subtle ways that what you know you need to work for what you get in life and I've always worked really hard like I from 14 I was working at KFC and and Mm. like really wanting to kind of have my own income and and be able to use that to you know do the things I want to do as well but yeah his his like attitude towards his life was really inspiring to me but it was also similar feeling of like not belonging and and I definitely had a lot of um wonderful friends and my cousins you know we all kind of moved towards um sydney for the most part so this they still were around but i was definitely very conscious of the fact that not many people shared Mm. um my culture or really understood anything that my family had gone through and i don't think even in that moment i really understood how much um leaving iran and yeah the impact of that on my parents and, and our family I really didn't understand that but I wasn't really I I did have a great childhood when we came to Australia I, I have really really happy memories but at the same time I think a lot of people can relate to the feeling of um, you know doing the forms for your parents or like having to kind of um, interpret things or not being able to get help from mm. your from your parents for homework because it was a different language to what they were le- um, learning and yeah so i kind of um always felt a little bit on the outside and i remember i think it was like year three or something in primary school um this girl came into our school and she was greek italian and i was like whoa <laughs> I, I didn't realize that that was a different culture to me but i was like that's like closer to my culture than what i have seen." Mm. um and she yeah she became such a great friend to me but I think a song like sing for the moment was it sing for a moment sing for the moment yeah um, sing for the moment by yeah sing for the moment by Eminem um I remember hearing that song and being like oh he's talking about me mm-hmm. like he's talking about the kids that have pin up posters of their favorite artists on their walls mm-hmm. um I was like yep I've got posters of Eminem on my walls for sure that's me <laughs> um you know like idolize their favorite rapper and know all their songs yep that's me um and the stuff that they've gone through their lives and um just really connecting to hip-hop and rap music and letting that be the thing that keeps them grounded and Mm. um and for me yeah his past albums were definitely like that album and the past albums for me were definitely that I felt so connected to a community of people that connected to music more than anything else and you know yeah like I said I had a lot of great people in my life but at the same time um hip hop culture for me was just so exciting and inclusive and something that I didn't feel like I was seeing in my everyday life and I don't think I understood it to a particularly deep level at that time but I just knew I really resonated with it and yeah to this day I think I watch eight mile like (laughs) once (laughs) once a year or something and that last rap battle um Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, he definitely was very influential in my music taste and led me to a lot of other great rappers as well.
1: I feel like it would only be fitting to play an Eminem song now on Out of the Box. (laughs) Uh, Is there one you'd like to play?
0: I have so many favourites, but I think Sing for the Moment was the one that really resonated with me. First on on that album but um yeah. yeah that's that's the track I'd love to play
1: before the judges part but it's quite just against me if I'm such a fucking minister this shit doesn't make sense me it's all political if my music is literal and I'm a criminal how the fuck can I raise a little girl I couldn't I wouldn't be fit to you're full of sheep too. Sing for the moment, it was Eminem on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Mia Hull. I am joined by the owner of PR Company 23, Melody Forgani. But you're not just the owner of Record (laughs) Company 23. You're also a former FBI Radio presenter um, and have an interest in radio. It's so nice to have you back on our airwaves, Melody. Can you tell me where you were in life when perhaps you first learnt about FBI?
0: Yeah, I remember it very clearly. And FBI has always been such a um, key part of my life. But I remember being in a maths class in like year 10 or 11 and um, somebody had just moved into our school and she lived or was from around the city. And firstly, I was like, whoa, (laughs) I don't know anyone that lives around there. So I was really intrigued by her. Um, And she I think we started talking about bands and music and Um, Then she was telling me about FBI and, have you heard of FBI? And my friend um, sometimes presents there and um, his name is Harry White, the friend that was presenting. And I was like, what? Like, you have a friend? You know someone our age that's on radio? Like, I was so blown away. And I remember, like, obsessively trying to figure out when he was playing morning when he was speaking on it and I'd like just listen to him like I didn't even think to listen to the other shows um but anytime I knew that he was on the radio I'd I'd listen and it wasn't until a little while later where I was like oh wait like maybe I could volunteer and I remember asking my dad to drive me um to the station and the memories of like exactly when this was are a little (laughs) unclear in my mind but um I do remember we came in it must have been a Friday because sweetie who was a um, previous host was preparing for arvos um and i remember like waiting for a volunteer kind of form um yeah and just hearing some of the stories i think she'd just gone to meredith's music festival and that was also like mind-blowing to me Mm. and she's talking about artists she saw and i mean i it wasn't even a conversation with me she was just having it and i was definitely eavesdropping but i was just like yeah these are my people like i i want to um, know more about music and I want to be involved and so when I started volunteering I think I was at the um, reception desk for a little while and then kind of quickly became an um, uh, all-nighter presenter and that was just so much fun because I was being connected to people that I had would have never otherwise crossed paths with and they also loved the bands that I liked and they were introducing me to so many other bands and it was you know it's always been such an inclusive and welcoming um place and I just kind of felt really at home very quickly and yeah like like I said I'm also very shy but um somehow because radio you know you're not seeing the person's face and Mm. just kind of feels a little bit private even though it's so public it kind of um felt even more comfortable and when I finished school I went straight into um studying a media degree at Macquarie University and I was obsessed with radio like I was volunteering here um, and I think through listening to FBI, I'd, I'd also learned about um, This American Life. And that was the only other <laughs> like
1: radio thing I knew. Sorry, that's just such a funny crossover. It was someone on I FBI someone, talking about it?
0: Yeah, I feel like maybe it was referenced on All the Best at yeah. the time or something. But um, Eliza, somebody, I can't remember their surname. But um, yeah, someone had mentioned it or referenced it. Or maybe even I'd read about it at uni or something but I have some memory of that and then I was like okay great well I'm gonna apply for the cadetship and move to Chicago mm. and I'm gonna do that and I don't even think I'm particularly good like in spoken form at storytelling so I, I would don't disagree <laughs> with that through well, this episode <laughs> <laughs> I mean like yeah I I personally never felt that way so I, I kind of was like I don't really know how I'm gonna do that but I'm gonna do that because I love telling um, well I just love like the process of hearing about other people's stories mm. so I was like adamant that I was going to do that and throughout uni I took all the radio courses that existed and um, continued to volunteer at FBI and um, yeah very very much one of those places or communities where one person introduces you to another person and then your networks and your world kind of keep growing and growing and I eventually found my first job in music at FBI but um yeah, like I remember, you know, it's FBI's in its twentieth year this year, and back when it was its tenth anniversary, we did um, like a little interview with some of the volunteers, and I, I think I even like had said that I had my first kiss at FBI, and it was true, really. <laughs> um, yeah, but whereabouts? Uh, the music library. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? <laughs> it was like. Uh, truly FBI. Was, was there an
1: event here, or were
0: you no? No, I was about to go in for a, um. I just had like my first ever date, and they dropped me off for my all, um all night.
1: Um, Let's kiss in the music library.
0: <laughs> oh, I'd, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, and I was like, I spent the. I mean, I was so wired <laughs> after that. But the all nighter was such a brace because I was like, ah! <laughs> like, my mind was racing. But um, but yeah, I. I was like the late bloomer, Um, but yeah, FBI was so so at the center of my life. And I remember we did this like interview for a Time Out magazine at the time, Um, and I said, I think I said like, yeah, I had my first kiss here. I might even get married here or something. I am so mortified that I said that,
1: but I. (laughs) I mean, if it's any consolation, the way that you talk about FBI is a story I hear with a lot of guests on this show who have been involved in FBI in some capacity, from listening to a friend hosting it at the beginning and thinking, oh, I can do that, to coming in and then letting it take over your life and then connecting with a million people and then all of your ambitions kind of start here as well. I mean, that's certainly the case for me too. So I didn't have my first kiss here, but I very much relate to your story. But you haven't gone on to become, you know, the new Ira Glass. um, (laughs) Nor are you a radio presenter anymore. So I want to talk more about how you ended up managing music. That starts on the Central Coast.
0: Yeah, I mean, throughout my media degree, I was like... um Toying with radio, and yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I knew that like music, ex, you know, labels and stuff existed, but I didn't really know what a publicist was. I didn't know what artist managers were really. um And yeah, like I think as far as I knew, you know, Paul Rosenberg from the little skits in the Eminem albums, like I was like, oh, okay, he's like a music industry guy. But yeah, I didn't really know any of that. Um, and I was off doing a separate course. Um, called the isgp and it was a course like it's called the institute of studies in global prosperity and um basically it's a a course for you to um reframe what you're studying in the area that you're working within um and put putting like social action at the center of that and and seeing how you can contribute to the world in your degree and with a bit of a different framework um and it was amazing and i came out of that like okay great I'm going to quit music (laughs) I I decided even though that wasn't the point I was like I'm not helping people more directly enough like forget this and I remember getting um yeah like a email from somebody saying that they were looking for an intern and I ignored it because I was like nah (laughs) I'm done with this and then at the same time um at that very course I'd met somebody um, who became a friend and I remember hearing her voice um in the corridors and being and I think I like even i don't even know why i said this but i think i was like i'm gonna
1: manage you one day hearing her voice singing yeah and i yeah. and
0: i don't yeah again i wasn't even working in music music properly so i, I don't know why i said that but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was working at the <laughs> apple store <laughs> like um but yeah i remember saying that and she saved a number in my phone and kind of was like um you know parisa uh, you better call me Tosif," and mm. i just remember being like whoa she's as bold as i am in, in her like directness about what she wants um and so I like talked to her a lot, um, but yeah, like those kind of there's like two stories that are running simultaneously. One was the person that had reached out to me um, about an internship that I ignored, which very quickly um, I <laughs> I left the um, the course and I went straight into a Smack Awards um, and bumped into my friend Harry White, who was the that presenter that mm. I would first heard about, um, and he was standing with the woman that had emailed me and um, her name's Claire Collins and she runs Bossy Music PR and I remember um, Claire said something like you haven't you know why haven't you replied to me and I was like whoa Mm -hmm. (laughs) so bold (laughs) and so I I kind of panicked and I was like oh sorry I've been away um want to meet tomorrow and I think I literally met her the next day and was so taken aback by how um you know I was really intimidated by her but I was like in awe of a woman being able to build the the company that she'd built and um, was was so eager to learn from her that I quickly um, started interning and, and then that turned into a full-time job. And then at the same time, um, Parisa, who I had met, who later started the band Valis Alps, um, kind of stayed in my radar and we kept in touch. And, um, and then our, our worlds kind of came back together a few years later as well. How did they come back together? Yeah, well, yeah, we kind of like kept, uh, kept in touch, talked on the phone, and then I can't remember how it came to be, but we realised we were both going to be in Melbourne. And so me and a group of um, friends, we were all just walking around and she was telling me about this band that she'd kind of started. Um, she hadn't put anything online and there was no pages that existed, but um, she'd gone and recorded it with a friend that was based in Seattle after they'd met volunteering as janitors in in Haifa in Israel and um, yeah anyway and I was like oh I want to hear it and so I think we were in some sort of like gift shop and it had a um, like a speaker somewhere and one of those like iPod docs and she like just plugged her phone in or iPod in or whatever it was and played me um, their first song that they'd ever written which was called Young and I, I rem- remember that song <laughs> yeah I remember <laughs> being like what Are you this is you you guys made this all by yourself like you did all of it and um she was like yeah like what do you think and she was like so modest in how she spoke about it and I was like I think this is amazing mm. and I didn't really even at that point I'd worked at posse for a little while um my sense of years and time is so bad so I don't really remember how long I was there but um I was like oh this is a great radio song (laughs) and I don't know if I even really had the knowledge to to be able to say that but I was like this is amazing what are you gonna do with it and she was like oh nothing I think we're just gonna like um it's a gift for our friends and our family and I was like "No, no, no you gotta you gotta do this and maybe they did actually have a plan to do it but I just remember them saying like oh no we're not sure if we're gonna like go for this the conversation just ended there I think they came back and asked me like do you know how to put songs on Spotify and stuff and I was like no <laughs> and so they they asked somebody else and eventually got it on and I remember they said um oh, like this is the day we're gonna release it and oh we, we better make like Instagram and a Facebook and stuff and then the day it came out it just went viral mm-hmm. and it was within hours I think one of them because they weren't in the same place on the opposite sides of the world one of them had gone to bed and woken up to like their SoundCloud going off and wow um and they came to me um and said like all these people are reaching out to us we've got like lawyers and publishers and what's a publisher and what's a publicist and look at all these labels like well, you're the only person we really know that works in music what do you what do you know and I kind of started to help them it was so wonderful for so many different reasons but mm um that kind of how we came to be was just like really mind blowing
1: well yeah it's it's so funny melody because you talk about all of those things falling together in a very serendipitous way but i also see someone who's mouth maybe talks before their brain does and i mean that in a in a polite way but it's like when you first met parisa and you were like i'm gonna manage you one day and then you know you listen to their music and you're like you have to release this i don't know how to do it do (laughs) it and it's so it's so funny that you talk about being someone who's introverted but you're so bold in the way that you talk to these people even when maybe you're not ready yet and you catch up afterwards
0: that's so funny I would never would have thought about it like that but it's true like I think I say things well and truly before I've thought through them and it's more I think I've always moved through the world and like particularly doing my own thing with work
1: like just through a feeling Mm. (laughs) Um, which I mean well it's It's like intuitive it's like I know that I can manage you one day maybe I don't know it yet but one (laughs) yeah
0: yeah and I mean like there are many times in my life and my career where I've realized that I'm in deeper than I and really know (laughs) what to do with but I I think I've always um and you know when I play artists like Eminem like I really mean that his like work ethic and the drive that I remember seeing in that movie and in his stories and in his songs I was like Yes, like that's what I want. That's how I want to move in the world. And, yeah, it's it's like I've always known that even if I don't know, I'll figure it out. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I think it's like being naive and stupid but also, um, yeah, like running with intuition and, and knowing and having a bit of trust in myself, which is really funny because I'm actually such an insecure and anxious person, <laughs> so I don't really know how – the two happen at the same time but um yeah it's a bit of a f- like fake it till you make it kind of thing absolutely
1: <laughs> um let's circle back to valice alps so they've just released this song it's going viral and they reach out to you as the person who works in the music industry who maybe knows how these things work what's the next step i think i literally
0: started a, a like a spreadsheet (laughs) and I and I was like all right I'm gonna get all of the people that are emailing you and I'm gonna separate them into tabs and it'll be the lawyers it'll be the labels it'll be this and we can just like go through and understand what each of them do and then go through and talk to them one by one
1: and just kind of was doing that on the side and were they paying you for that or are you just doing it as their friend
0: no I was just doing it as their friend and at the time I was working at Bossy and um yeah i think like i don't really know what i was doing but i was they were happy for me to you know like i was the one of the only people they knew that worked in music i think so i think they were also not expecting it to go the way that it had either so i think there was this attitude of like well let's just see what happens um and it was definitely like not official in any capacity um but yeah like things kept happening and i was like we were just trying to make sense of it like you know, they'd get added to radio really quickly, and then, and then like they'd be written about, and then more people would reach out to them. And I remember being like, "No, I've got to just say it. I've got to tell them. I know it's crazy. I have no experience, but I wanna, I wanna manage them." And they were having conversations with other managers that, with actual managers <laughs> that knew what they were doing and had had experience. And um, I kind of was a little bit like, "Well, you know, you'll ask, and if it doesn't happen, it's fine. But if it happens, then..." cool one thing that really struck me right at the beginning and this is kind of the like attitude that they always have towards anybody um and anything to do with the band is I think they asked me something like what why, how would managing us help you in your career and in your development and I was like whoa mm. <laughs> that's such a selfless like question to ask and I'd never experienced anybody um thinking about work in that way um, and I just remember feeling so um, excited and surprised and happy that there was two people that were willing to not only work with me but also were thinking about how they could contribute to my life. Mm. That I was like, well, I'm going to have to start a company. And, and so I kind of like put everything else down and decided to do that. And when I took it to Valis, um, I was really worried because there were some really awesome like labels and companies that were interested in me bringing the band and myself um and working with those teams and they would were established you know labels and things um and I thought there's no way they'd be comfortable with me just um starting from scratch and when I brought it to them they were kind of like yes I like, never we would have never asked you to do that because it's such a massive risk but it just feels like we're all like on the same level where you know like even playing fields we're all learning from scratch and yeah we can kind of take more risks. And I think we were, you know, like, let's just do it. Let's just figure it out. And if we don't figure it out, we don't. But who cares? You know? I just rolled through it by realising the mistakes I was making after I'd made them, to be honest. Like, it wasn't um, this, like, super smooth journey where, I like, everything kind of, you know, I had the time to fully understand everything. So I think, like, I was very much moving um at the pace that Vallis was moving so we were just so lucky that there were so many amazing opportunities being presented to us so we were just trying to catch up um as opposed to like forward planning um and so there was a lot of that and that was driving me meeting lots of people and getting experience and understanding but um at the same time I was still at FBI and I was um, at that point uh producing the Tuesday Arvos program with Chris Twight and Twite is pretty much from day one been such a massive mentor to me and um, you know he does a lot of work in music outside of FBI as well and um, he was a massive mentor for me and I learned so much um, with his guidance and and you know there's been so many amazing people along the way that have really helped um, someone called Katie Stewart who was the general manager of Laneway for a really long time and we worked in the same office and, and she equally um, taught me a lot and there's also somebody called Susan Heyman um, from Chug Entertainment who um, we all kind of shared offices for a while and um, was always looking out for me and helping me as well. So, there was, I mean, there was so many other people I could name, but they really helped. But also things like calling, I don't even know what they're called, but calling like the hot, like the government hotlines about mm. business structures and things like that where yeah. I just had no clue. Um <laughs> what to do but I think it all just happened like it all just kind of worked out um but you know there were things like taxes and and things that I didn't do till way later um and yeah it's I'm still learning a lot to this day and and you know as the business grows and here and overseas I think um just constantly learning and um will never ever say that I've learned mm-hmm. everything I need I don't don't really sometimes feel like I know what I'm doing but I feel like I also have a lot of great support around me now and I'm always so grateful to be able to help share stories um, for artists some that I can relate to some that I know that I can't but others can and and finding that platform Mm. for me has always been the most um, special thing like you know it's I I never thought I was going to be a um, publicist but I think what I always knew I was going to do was help artists push themselves forward in, in whatever way and, and
1: yeah. I want to go back to where it all began where you and Bella Alps are just plugging their phone into an iPod dock in a shop somewhere. What was that song? That was their first song, Young. In a few minutes we'll talk about 23 again and what the future holds but Right now let's just stay where it started
0: Look up Your cities built on marble floors Neon lights in the falling snow Those nights back in Tokyo
1: Dallas Alps on FBI Radio 94.5 the song was called Young I'm Mia Hull this is out of the box I'm joined by Melody Forgani who chose that song and manages that band through PR company 23 what does the future hold for you it feels like we've been talking about a meteoric rise that's happened since 1991 (laughs) (laughs) what does 2023 hold?
0: Uh, I think much of the same, you know,
1: um, I don't have any grand plans to take
0: over the world, but I'm just really grateful to pick up people along the way, um, both staff and, and artists that um, want to learn but also, yeah, have stories to share and I think if that is the focus, um, then we'll be on a good path. I, yeah, just want to be able to do that and do that well um, and continue to broaden... The, the list of people that we work for. So hopefully just a steady <laughs> steady <laughs> run of
1: um working with amazing artists and, and projects. Amazing. Well yeah, let's keep an eye out on twenty three <laughs> and all your projects. Melody, it's been so nice getting to learn about you. The first time we met was in this studio when you were sitting in on an interview with a different artist you were managing. So it's nice to have you in the seat and get to learn about your very big story
0: oh thank you so much for having me it is definitely a trip being on the <laughs> other side um i never thought anyone would be interested to hear but it's yeah it's very special especially eight years in and um on a year like 2023 it feels like we really need to make make our um make the best make the most of this year
1: true i, I just <laughs> clocked that That angel numbers as they say <laughs> I was like what do you mean oh (laughs) (laughs) the literal yeah (laughs) you've chosen a song by no name to end the interview with tell me about this track
0: um oh it's just such a easy to listen to lovable track that's so cheeky and witty and um I've always been such a massive fan of her her work and everything that she's had to say um and I remember, like, sending an email to, like, an info at No Name or something like that. One of email was on her Facebook. And I I reckon I sent maybe, like, upwards of 30 emails, separate emails with new kind of subjects, um, just to be like, hey, if you're ever looking for Australian PR, let me know. And somebody eventually replied, and I was so shocked. And they'd suggested a, a call at a time that was, like, my 3 a.m., but mm. I kind of was like only so just like set an alarm I had friends like help me stay up mm-hmm. <laughs> that was so late for me um and I had this call and I remember the in the meeting the manager had said something like oh yeah you and everyone that works at 23 and it was definitely just me but I was like yeah 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 totally <laughs> me and the team are so excited i <laughs> are <laughs> like stoked to be able to like have this conversation and then um, and then yeah like shortly after um I remember she was on Coachella and I thought I've got to go like Mm. because it still wasn't like at all locked in it was very kind of casual and loose and I basically said to the manager like yeah let's meet and then so I I flew there to meet them um and they had to cancel a couple of times and then they were like oh let's just meet in at um, Coachella which I wasn't even like I didn't even have a ticket for Mm. and I was like "Mm, no uh, what about just in LA before and so I like flew to LA and pretty much like without telling them was like like, chasing them Mm. um, to be able to get a chance to meet with them and then eventually there was this like horrible day where I had the worst food poisoning and I was in this like very like cool trendy cafe in LA that was so packed and I was just like in and out of the bathroom um and they were a little bit late, like, you know, no shade, but I think they were, like, three, four hours late. Oh, my God. Um, but, I, but I was also so green, too, that, like, I think it was probably more of a casual meeting than I realized, but mm. I was, like, ready to go. Um, and then by that point, I was just so desperate to work for them that I remember saying, like can you just say it out loud? Can you just say I'm her publicist? And I think he like was like, yeah, you're her publicist. And I was like, great, and get your phone out and write it on email as well. So I <laughs> have it in writing. And then he did. And then pretty much to this day, I I feel so bad, but I'm like perpetually just like hustling and chasing them to be like, hey, what, what, what's going on? What, what's next? Um, and they they let me stay on. But I was just like, I could not believe that I was able to work on a um, on an artist that had so much to say. And I felt so, and I'm always so grateful to be able to help share stories um, for artists, some that I can relate to, some that I know that I can't, but others can, and, and finding that platform mm. for me has always been the most um, special thing. Like, you know, it's I, n- I never thought I was going to be a um, publicist, but I think what I always knew I was going to do was help artists push themselves forward in, in whatever way and and yeah just reminds me of that hustle <laughs> that yeah. I've tried to have throughout my whole career to to get to artists that are um so far beyond needing help but really being grateful to be on on their team and, and help them in whatever way that we can
1: This is Yesterday by No Name on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5, chosen by the boss, (laughs) I'm going to say the founder, (laughs) of 23, Melody Forgani, my guest on Out of the Box today. If you did want to listen back to this episode, you can do that on the programs page on fbiradio.com, where I'll also have a full track list and some links to the things that we've spoken about. You can also listen back by the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give a big shout out to Tanya Ali, who produced and researched this episode and did an amazing job. And do stay tuned, lunch is right around the corner. FBI. And I know the money don't really make me whole. The magazine covers drenched in gold. The dreams of Granny and Mansion and Happy. The little things I need to save my soul. And I know the money don't really make me whole. The magazine covers drenched in gold. The dreams of granny and mansion and happy. The little things I need to save my soul. Who am I, Gypsy Rap? Gypsy need her dollar back and all of that. My devil's only closer when I call him back. Lick her in the limelight. Lick her in the limelight with fine wine